0: Hey, good morning, everybody. Scott Luton here with you on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's show. Hey, we've got an excellent conversation teed to up today as we're going to be talking with a trailblazing leader, both in the academic field as well as the toy industry. So stay tuned as we have quite an inspirational and intriguing conversation in store here today. So, with that said, we're going to get down to business. We're not wasting time here at Supply Chain Now. Y'all should know that by now. Uh, with that said, let's introduce our featured guest here today. Our guest has made a variety of firsts in history, including as the first African-American to receive a doctorate in logistics from The Ohio State University. Her research has been published in a wide variety of channels, magazines, across media. Our featured guest is a pioneering entrepreneur in the toy industry, where she's built a wildly successful company that makes it a priority to represent and include a wide variety of ethnicities. You can find our guests' interviews in big-time publications from Essence Magazine to MS NBC and TV One. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Lisa Williams, CEO of World of EPI. Dr. Lisa, how are you doing?
1: I am great, Scott. How are you? We're doing wonderful.
0: I've uh, really enjoyed um, our, our pre show conversation, as it were. And I'm really excited about sharing your journey and your expertise and your experiences with our global ecosystem here at Supply Chain Now.
1: So am I. Super excited.
0: All right, you know there, there's so much we could talk about. Just, just if we stuck to supply chain, you and I could probably, I think you could offer a master class on many things. Um, but we're going to talk about supply chain. We're going to talk about some of your first you accomplished. We're going to talk about your company, which is is by and large changing the game. Are, are you buckled up and ready to go? I am. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So let's get started. So you're right where you are right now is in beautiful, sunny. San Diego, California, which I'm very jealous of. It's it's nice here in the Metro Atlanta area, but it's, it's uh, temperatures have gotten a little bit more frigid here lately. But hey, that's okay. I guess it's better than an 80 degree holiday season, right?
1: Right. <laughs> and you know what I have to tell you, Atlanta is one of my favorite cities. So I love Atlanta.
0: We do too. We're we're uh, it's it's a joy to live here. We're on the fringe of the Metro Atlanta area, but studios in town. And it is an absolute joy and pleasure to do business uh, with a home-based operations in a city like Atlanta. Um, All right, but so now you're in San Diego now, but that's not where you grew up. So tell us, Dr. Lisa, where did you grow up? And and give us the goods on your upbringing a little bit.
1: I grew up in Toledo, Ohio. So as we were talking earlier, holy Toledo, (laughs) that's my hometown. That's where I grew up. I had a great upbringing of my mom, dad, and my little baby sister. uh, That's two years under me. And uh, we grew up with our cousins. It was very family oriented. We spent Saturdays bowling, (laughs) And doing all those really cool Midwestern things. So a wonderful childhood.
0: Okay. I got to ask you, who would win the bowling competitions? Oh, you come or come
1: on, Scott. <laughs> come on now. <laughs> Listen, none of my cousins are here, right? So of course I won.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love that. Bowling, you know, we've got that in common. I was a part of the Luton Foursome back in the day with my brother and my two cousins. And get this, we had a down to the wire playoff battle with a foursome from uh the Johnson Enterprises from the, <laughs> Oh, we could write a story about those days, but anyway. So your upbringing, of course, family and bowling and when you think about other elements that really make up that you really, you know, reminisce on, what else makes up big parts of your upbringing?
1: You know, my family, of course, as I said, and hanging out with my cousins and my aunt but food, <laughs> when I think of home or when I go back home, the first thing I'm doing, I have to check off a list, right, of my childhood favorites. So Tony Paco's, if any of you from uh, Ohio or Toledo, they're known for their hot dogs, uh, Jamie Farr they- Classic. There's other hot dog and hamburger restaurants that I just have to go to. <laughs> it's not like um, you know, California is known for its fresh vegetables and fruit, right. healthy. that's not my hometown. <laughs> Hey, that's okay. The better.
0: Yeah, you got to splurge, and and that's what made you know made a big impact in your upbringing. I, I can relate. Barbecue was a big part of, of yes. mine, and 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 hey, who doesn't like good hot dogs and ribs and city barbecue? Not in Toledo, but I think City Barbecue is still around in in, in um, Cleveland, Ohio, and um, not Toledo. You know, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to do some research. I used to work in Cincinnati for a Cincinnati oh, firm and okay. we would make the rounds of some other of the larger mid-sized cities in Ohio and city barbecue was on every corner and Dr. Lisa it was delicious it was absolutely delicious
1: so if you want to just say so if you went to Cincinnati or lived yes. in Cincinnati then you know skyline chili and oh, yeah. skyline hot dogs see that's, that's right. also really good
0: it really you know it it mm-hmm. it is it's a huge tradition and it for folks that haven't had it putting a little bit of, you know, because each of the places has maybe different secret ingredients, but I think a little bit of chocolate, right? A little bit of chocolate is the secret ingredient, having it on spaghetti, having it on hot dogs. Skyline chili is where it's at, right?
1: Oh my God, yes. <laughs> You're <know, laughs> going to make my flight assistant added just for a bowl of chili.
0: <laughs> yes. We're going to have to go grab break bread after our interview here today. Love it. Okay. So let's talk about let's kind of switch gears a minute. So from Toledo now in San Diego, we both have a love for all types of good foods. Let's talk about your academic career, which was before your big entrepreneurial exploits. So can you share? You know, can you share a few roles that you enjoyed the most when you were in the academic uh, field and and why?
1: You know, I loved being a teacher. When I was a kid, going back to Toledo, when I was a little kid, they say, "Well, what is one of your fondest memories of being a child?" It was one of getting this great Christmas gifts. My right. my parents got us a, uh, or got me a chalkboard, and I remember vividly, like it was yesterday, lining all of my stuffed animals around the chalkboard <laughs> while I taught them the day's lesson. <laughs> So I have always been a teacher and educator at heart. And that's what I enjoyed. I enjoyed, you know, every aspect of my education. I enjoyed the undergrad, the master's, the second master's and the PhD, all because it was centered around education, whether it was research or educating executives, PhD students or MBA students in the classroom. I just loved it. I love that, that aha moment, you know, when you can see that the light bulb has just gone off in your student's head. Oh. There's nothing better than that
0: well that really resonates with me i can, i can remember some of the my favorite people in my entire life are great teachers that enjoyed that same moment and worked with with me and others to get to that moment and sometimes for many you know whether it's math for me or whomever you know other subjects for other folks it doesn't come easy so i really appreciate how much you enjoyed those moments um now you mentioned a lot of different degrees you've earned you know it's really important to talk about as you are having those, uh, as you are powering those aha moments and and helping others uh, advance and learn and get educated, you are you are knocking down some barriers and making some firsts all along the way. Um, as I mentioned on the, on the on the front end, you know the first African American to earn a logistics PhD from the Ohio State University, which is a big time. Uh, so we got a lot of pedigree when it comes to uh, supply chain education. And then, as if that's not enough. Uh, help me with the first at Penn State University, because one, t- one was a first for a female, one was first for an African-American. So tell me about what you did at Penn State.
1: I was the first African-American um, hired in the department, and I was the first African-American female to receive tenure from Penn State University. Wow. And I love it too.
0: Gosh, so many questions, so little Tom. Does it run your family to be the first? to be the pioneer, to be the trailblazer? Where did you, where do you get the motivation to do these things? And all of that was on the academic side of your career. It doesn't even get into some of the things we're gonna talk about on the entrepreneurial side. Where do you draw strength from?
1: Well, that's a really good question. You know what? It comes from a conversation I had with my mom when I was a kid. I may have been, I don't know, seven or eight. She probably doesn't even remember it because it's one of those little teachable moments, but really small in another in the other person's life. But we were in the living room. I think we're getting ready for a family event or something. And she just kind of casually said, you know, you can be anything you want to be. You could be a doctor if you wanted to. And I'm just like, a doctor? Hmm. And I actually ended up becoming a doctor, not a medical doctor, but a PhD doctor. So when you ask, where did it come from? It was that spark that said, there's nothing I cannot do. So that started it. And then as I progressed in my life and in my career, I just found things that interested me or things that I was passionate about. And so it was the why that drove me to keep moving. And, and each of the things that I that you just mentioned and other things we'll talk about None of it was easy. As a matter of fact, all of it was incredibly hard. But when you kind of know your why and why you're doing it and you think it's important, it's going to make a difference for others, that's the that's the energy that propels you to go from day one to day two. And then you kind of just look around and you're like, wow, (laughs) I have a PhD. You know (laughs)
0: that it, it really, you know, you make a great point. It isn't easy. Right. None of these things are given to you, folks. You know, don't bend over backwards and give you anything. You got to earn it. And I can only imagine, you know, the stories of the book you could write, you know, as you bust through and make these milestones. Uh, And hopefully, and I'm sure, just like the conversation you have with your mother helped you maybe take some blinders off of what the art of the possible was. You and what you're doing are doing that for all these other folks that, that want to be the next Dr. Lisa Williams, and that's so important. So let's talk about your big, bold bet you made in 2003. Now, I can, this resonates with me, all of this does, but this in particular, as a fellow founder and entrepreneur, I just marvel at what you've been able to accomplish on this side. So in 2003, you made a big, bold bet, and you launched your company, The World of EPI, before we talk about your why there let's define what EPI means for folks. That's
1: uh, the world of entertainment, publishing, and inspiration.
0: Okay. I mean, and as we talked about, pre-show in supply chain, as you know, we love our acronyms around here. So everyone added a new one. So the world of EPI. So what was your why behind launching what's become a, a really successful business?
1: Well, you know, let me step back a little bit and tell you kind of how I got there. Because yeah. As you just said, I was the first African-American to get a PhD from the Ohio State, then the first to later get tenure at Penn State, and then one of my biggest accomplishments is I became the highest-ranking professor in the entire field. So I became a full full professor with two multimillion-dollar endowed chairs. So now I'm the highest-ranking professor, be it black, yellow, green, purple, or blue.
0: Right. Anyone (laughs) in the solar system. (laughs)
1: Right. And gender. So I'm now the highest ranking. So life is good. Right. I'm teaching my classes. I'm having a great time. And then one Saturday doggone afternoon, I decide to watch television and I am watching an updated Anderson Cooper did an updated study on the famous doll study. And the doll studies was done in like the 50s and 60s with Mm -hmm. Kenneth and Mamie Clark, where they asked African-American children, as well as Caucasian children at the time, what doll did they want to play with? And almost unilaterally or unanimously, that's the word, (laughs) almost unanimously that you were, they all selected the Caucasian doll, even the black children. And of course we we get that because this is Jim Crow era. It's the fifties and sixties, makes perfect sense. Well, this Saturday I'm watching it. Now it's 2009 and I'm expecting different things because at this time we have African-American celebrities in the culture of magazines. They have their own TV shows. We have, you know, diversity is everywhere. So they asked this beautiful little black girl, what doll does she want to play with? And when I tell you, I'm half, ha- half, watching this show. Cause I'm like, okay, I know what she's going to say. Right. <laughs> right. Well, I was shocked when mm. she said she wanted to play with the black doll. Oh, sorry. With the white doll. She did not want to play with the black doll. Right. And then what broke my heart is when she explained why. And she said, I don't want to play with the black doll because the black doll skin is nasty. Mm. And then she touched her own hand as to indicate that her skin tone was nasty too. Mm. And it broke my heart and it still breaks my heart to this day. And um, I get emotional about it because if any one child believes that they are less than, it's not just a problem for her or her family. It's a problem for society because we will not be able to really benefit from all the talents that this young lady has. So that day I said, something has got to change. This cannot happen on your watch. And so, in essence, the world of EPI was born sitting on my living room sofa right after watching the Anderson Cooper story. Uh,
0: I appreciate you sharing that. I can, that. How I perceive that moment is, it, it, I can only imagine how powerful and how it kind of stops you in the tracks. And I love what you just shared there a second ago not on my watch, not on my watch. And gosh, you know, in a world full of lip service leadership, regardless of function, industry, you know, you name it, there's plenty of it. Gosh, if you hadn't acted on that, uh, on what you, on on that, your uh, epiphany you had on that Saturday and to say, not on my watch, you went, you went to work. So now that you've really shared the why, tell us, um, and 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 please, if you, uh, I want, I don't want to shortchange that story. I guess before we define what world of EPI is, what did you do after that Saturday? Where, where did you get started? What? How did you uncover that it was going to be, you know, the world of EPIs as what your mission life was going to look like?
1: I didn't even know that at this time. I really just knew that I had to do something. And I was fortunate enough that my last position in the academy was at uh, the University of Arkansas. Okay. And that's where I had the multimillion dollar endowed chairs. And through that relationship, I ended up becoming very close to Walmart and some of the members of the Walton family and the Walmart executives. And they had already asked if I was interested in doing dolls. And I said, yeah, see, when I first came there, well, let me back up even further, because talk about how life will put you on a trajectory or a path that you have no plans on walking. Right, right. (laughs) So I'm a professor, like I said, very happy doing great things as a professor. And I wrote a book. And in writing a book, I interviewed several executives in the supply chain area because the book was about, it was a supply chain leadership book. Right. And I had the opportunity to meet with Lee Scott, who at the time was the president of Walmart. Okay. And Lee and I bonded because he has an undergraduate degree in supply chain management. Okay. So we would have great conversations and I end up centering some of the book around him. So when the book came out, they asked Walmart if they could sell the book at their stores. And I'm like, oh, wow. yeah, 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 you can. <laughs> How quickly can I say yes, right? Yeah. So they said, yes, can we have the book in our, th-? and I said, yes, you can absolutely have the book in the store. And the book did well. And then we started writing a line of children's books because I wanted to empower and uplift children.
0: And was this, so the line of children's books. So the first book. That went into Walmart stores, was focused on supply chain, and then that led to a series of children's books, which were about what?
1: About children's issues, right? Little things like uh, a little girl can't find her favorite stuffed animal, uh, someone else going to the zoo and having an experience there, uh, someone having to take a bath and not wanting to, just <laughs> basic children issues. Right. But they were well-received and all the books were completely multicultural. So we had Asian, Caucasian, Latina, African-American, everyone was represented in the books and the books did very well. So that's when Walmart came back and said, you know, we think you kind of know about dolls. Would you like would you like to do a line of dolls for us? And I said, oh no. Really? <laughs> you, but no, thank you. I knew nothing about making dolls. In my childhood, my sister played with dolls a lot. I did not. I, I read a lot, but I wasn't really one who played with a lot of dolls. Mm. So I didn't have any any background to, uh, to call upon. So I said, no, no, thank you. I'll, I'll pass on this one. And then I watched that that interview with that little girl. It changed my life. And so then I called back and I said, I will do it. I would, after turning them down three times, Wow. said, I will do it. And so I embarked on this journey of creating a line of multicultural dolls that represents the beauty in all children.
0: Love that and love the, the purpose behind it. Cause it, you know, if we've heard you know, I'm not sure we're, we're around a thousand episodes here at supply chain now with a wide variety of guests. And and one of the, one of the many common themes we've heard from many guests is, you know, that, that see it and be it, which is along the lines of what you shared around that epiphany you had on that Saturday. And I can only, imagine, well, you know, I want to learn from you. So I'll save that question. So you turn them down three times and then on the fourth, you said, Hey, let's, let's get started. So how how did you get it? We'll, we'll, we'll define all that world of EPI is involved in now, but I'm curious how did you how did you go about doing your homework and kind of figuring out how one opens a business, how one goes about making toys and dolls and making a business out of it. How, how did you do that?
1: Well, I didn't know anything about, I mean, I can't stress how I knew nothing about this. (laughs) I knew nothing. But what I did know, unfortunately, is that there were no factories here in the United States that made vinyl dolls. And by the way, I didn't even know they were made from vinyl. Just let you know. (laughs) I knew nothing. But as I found out, I'm like, well, there are no factories here. So me, I'm a researcher as a former professor. So I researched factories and I picked out a few that I thought could probably express my vision. And then I contacted them. And the top three, I literally hopped on a flight, flew to China and met with strangers. (laughs) I have to tell you this story (laughs) because I literally did that. I caught a plane, landed um, at the airport. And it wasn't until that point that I realized how what I had just done was perhaps dangerous and a little reckless because I didn't know who was picking me up. And I'm by myself. I don't speak the language. I can't tell someone to come pick me up on the corner of, you know, 7th and 30th. I'm in another country. Right. These men pick me up. They put me in a van, <laughs> a van that, at least in San Diego, probably would not pass standards <laughs> in the U.S. And they're driving, and I kid you not, 90 miles per hour, whizzing wow. around these, these cliffs. And by the way, there are no barriers on the cliff. <laughs> And I'm just holding their white knuckle to the seat, like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. It's almost like, Lord, if you get me out of this one, (laughs) I promise. Oh,
0: you won. Or maybe a hundred. I don't know.
1: Exactly. Because I was so, at that time, the reality of what I had embarked upon hit me. But I was so driven to make sure that that little girl that I've never met had a daughter looked like her. Mm. So I get to the factory and they were very nice. And they start, though, trying to convince me of why I should not try to do anything unique or different. Mm -hmm. That just, you know, the most expensive thing about doing a, a doll is the sculpt. It's the face. And they were like, you know, we have tons of faces in this room. Just pick one that you like. Do that. Don't create from scratch. It's too expensive. And they kept saying, trust us. We know what we're doing. It wasn't that I didn't trust them. It's just that I knew in my heart, again, without any experience, I knew enough to know that it had to be real. It had to be authentic and it had to be something that children and adults alike, their parents, could relate to. And so it took a little bit of banter before I got them to bend down to my will and give me a doll that was totally from my heart and from my vision. But it took a while and and again, <laughs> I kept saying to myself in the back of my mind, you're in another country. You have no here <laughs> <idea> with you. <laughs> and you're arguing with these men. But
0: <laughs> <laughs> So did you have to meet multiple suppliers before you found one that would, would embrace your vision and, and, and act on it?
1: Yes, I did.
0: And you, you weren't going to give in uh, until no. they could deliver, they could see it uh, and make it happen. And I love right. that. I love that. Um, this is what I want. This is my vision. This is what we're going to do and you're with me or you're just not part of the solution exactly so.
1: and that's how the first leadership came leadership skills that i had to use is because yeah. i had to convince i couldn't make dolls right i i can't do i don't have a factory in china right. so i had to i had to have them to see my vision too it was important that they saw it and see why we were going those extra steps to get this doll made so i had to rally them and and in a way like i said inspire them to this worthwhile vision this worthwhile cause of changing children's lives and thank goodness, one factory bought into that vision.
0: No kidding, because it really has grown into. Um, uh, well, well you t- tell us t- what has the the um, the doll lineup grown into? Uh, and I'm not sure. I'm not up. But you're you're talking about some things you weren't sure about. I'm not up to speed on my doll and my toy terminology, so bear with me. So, what did the doll line grow into? And then, if you would to also touch on where the company has grown into, because it's, it it it's more than just dolls, I believe, right?
1: Oh yes. It's a marvel to me. But yeah, we started with two dolls originally and now we've gone into, oh geez, so many hundreds of SKUs and we've gone into different collections. So we started out with Positively Perfect. Uh, there were two SKUs. Yeah. Two, initially two SKUs there. I can't even count the number of SKUs, but there's now so many. So we have seven different collections of dolls where we started off with one and we are now moving into licensing other companies products. So we are creating dolls for other entertainment companies, which we're absolutely thrilled about.
0: Okay. So talk to me about some of the, um, I bet you hear from all corners of the world in terms of, um, you know, how how important and meaningful your products have been, you know, since you launched the company. So before we move into uh, maybe dispelling uh, some assumptions around the toy industry, what has them, what have you heard back from the market around all your good work?
1: Oh, my gosh. I think the the thing that really strikes my heart the most is when I see a little girl or boy, we do boy dolls also, say that this doll looks just like me. That means the world to me. Or when a parent writes me and says, my daughter will not allow us to leave the house (laughs) without her positively perfect doll. Love it. Or when I hear that schools make exceptions, there was one little girl that had her doll that she wanted to take it to school every day. And the school's like, we're sorry, sweetie, but you can't have dolls or any toys in school. Well, she was as persuasive as any adult I know of because she got the the school to change their policy. So she was allowed to bring her fresh doll to school with her. So those things really touch my heart. And even when I hear adults, I did an event once and literally parents came to me crying. I mean, tears, crying because they were saying how they're so grateful that their children have these dolls and they wish they had had them when they were younger because it could have made a difference in their self-esteem. So, you know, it's not just the vinyl, but it's really the impact that we're making on on people's lives that make all the difference.
0: So uh, I'm sure that's rewarding on a wide variety of levels, but speaking toward one in particular, from if you, as you remember that Saturday, and you remember that interview, the child's and dolls thing, and you remember the the resolution and the commitment that you made to taking action, to being to to, to appreciating where you are now and hearing from the market, that's got to be an immense rewarding self self fulfilling rewarding feeling that you feel, huh?
1: I do, it, it, I do. When I look, I go to the stores. I, I mean, again. <laughs> I have an amazing team, but I started off as one woman by herself with this vision of making sure no other little girl thought her skin was nasty. Mm. So to come from that, from my living room sofa, to be able to walk into a Walmart or a Target or see it on Amazon or at Macy's or Walgreens or CVS—numerous—it's just it's it's a pinchable moment. Like you really <laughs> want to pinch it. And then when you see them in movies, our dolls were featured in four films this year. Wow. And then, oh my gosh, how can I forget the biggest one or one of the biggest, and that is being recognized by Oprah Winfrey as one of her favorite things. Wow. All of these things are just like, is this real?
0: <laughs> well, and, and the domino effect, you know, just like when you first met with that first supplier or the, or the one that finally gave in and they just, they wanted you to follow their lead rather than follow your vision. You know, now, hopefully all of your good work and how the market has resonated with the marketplace there's less resistance to perhaps more diversity across the toy industry. Is that, is that your take?
1: Oh, that is very true. I, yes. And you're right. So we've gone from one factory uh, previously. Now we have over five factories that we work with now to produce and we do dolls, we do electronics, we do doll fashions. We Our business has expanded significantly.
0: So before we talk about, you know, I bet all kinds of folks have assumptions maybe based on their own childhood about the toy industry Anything else? It sounds like world of EPI is is continues on the grow, diversifying its product lines, all the different things and markets that you're in anything you know as you look up the, over the next couple of years, what can folks expect from uh, where you're going next?
1: they can expect to see some of their favorite characters that are on the big screen being made and manufactured by the world of EPI. They can expect to see some of their favorite characters on television being made and manufactured by the world of EPI. And they can expect to continue to see the current fresh, positively perfect doll line expand. We're doing more collections, more dolls, more doll type, more doll sizes, more representation. So my idea is that we create a sacred space for children, for all children. So when they wake in the morning, they are surrounded by images that look like them from their bedspread to their shower curtain, to their toothpaste, to to their dolls, to their backpacks. I really want to create that sacred space, that sacred environment for them. And that's what you're going to continue to see from the world of EPI.
0: Wow. Okay. So to this point, uh, and again, this could be like a 12 hour Miniseries on all these things you've described already. It's been part leadership and and part academic trailblazing and pioneering. That epiphany on that Saturday leading to uh, the world of EPI, which clearly has already done big things, and it sounds like there's a lot more big things coming. And I love how you tell folks can expect this and this and this. Man, it's got to be invigorating. Now I want to broaden out a little more to the toy industry before we talk supply chain a little bit more and Walmart a little bit more. What what's one thing? maybe that it would, it would blow people's mind or just surprise them maybe about how the toy industry works.
1: Wow. How it works. Well,
0: or or just about the toy industry in general, your your pick.
1: You know what? It's hard. (laughs) 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 You think toys, toys, fun, laughter, joy, and it is all of that, but it is definitely a business. So it's highly competitive and it is demands a great deal of creativity the lifespan of a toy is probably three years, three maybe five, maybe okay. you can pull it out to five years. So it's constant innovation. So even though you have a product that's on the market <clears throat> that comes out say for Christmas, you literally, I never stopped working on the next iteration, the next version, because our our customer base, that little three to six-year-old is very demanding <laughs> and they don't want the same doll year after year. So the constant innovation and the constant creativity and the constant nonstop work probably is what I would say, I love but that. it's incredible, incredibly full of joy as well.
0: Perhaps the most demanding consumers on the face of the planet at three, three to six Cause they're not going to change what they want to play with maybe. And, and they want the latest and greatest quick aside before we, we're going to talk about your work with Walmart here in a minute. And, and some of your accomplishments there, have you seen any of the toy document There's a couple of toy document documentaries on Netflix, I think in particular. And one in one talks about the, the star Wars toy market and kind of how, you know, the movie kept getting delayed and, and they were kind of in limbo with uh, the toy manufacturing and, and that. And they didn't know it was going to be the hit. It was going to be so. So that was kind of factored into the investment. It is fascinating how, even as you've described this far, the entertainment industry, like movie, TV, and that one, how closely that's tied to the toys we find, you know, in on shelves and then getting sold from shelves. A- any comments around that, or have you I'm seen even- the documentaries?
1: I have not seen them. I'll be honest. I have not seen them. Um, Actually, I will be in a few of those documentaries upcoming, but I have not seen them yet. Um, But what I will say, we talk about that. It's kind of like when you look at your favorite television show. The primary purpose of your favorite television show is to have ad space for the commercials that come along. And that's kind of similar to the entertainment industry. I mean, the idea is to create really good content so that people will want to have a part of that content come home with them which includes in our case having toys. So I didn't realize how not only how connected they are, but sometimes how much input we actually get into some of the content.
0: Mm, it's really fascinating. And um let's talk about so Walmart you 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 mentioned I love how that factors into um and 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 their multiple requests and eventually because uh as you put it I think life you find yourself in the right spot at the right time to, to really fulfill ultimately what your legacy is meant to be. So Walmart bestowed upon you supplier of the year, which gosh, it's going to be given all the suppliers they work with specifically from what I can tell from my research for your visionary leadership. So tell us about your work with Walmart and, and how that's been a big part of maybe uh, the rewarding journey.
1: Yes. I mean, I can't say enough wonderful things about Walmart. As I said, um, it was the Walmart family and the Walmart company that brought me to the University of Arkansas as as that full endowed professor many, many moons ago. And that allowed me to have access to their executives, which ultimately resulted in my writing the book about leading beyond excellence, which was a book about, again, succeeding as a supply chain management leader. So Walmart has like, they're the fiber that kind of runs through this entire story uh, of my <laughs> of my professional life. Right. And so once the book got out there, like I said, they they wanted me to do two children's books. And then we did the dolls and the image and likeness of the characters in the books. And I think I exceeded their expectations. I think they were thinking I'd do one or two dolls, but I had a bigger vision. Once I Once I saw that little girl and once I saw and felt her inability to really see who she was. I was driven to not just give her one doll, but to give her again, that sacred environment. So that everywhere she looks, she sees a reflection of her beauty and her power. So because I saw that and I was able to move from what Walmart had initially asked me to do, they saw me as a visionary leader. And I was, am still deeply honored to be recognized as a visionary leader from Walmart.
0: And clearly you are, you know, the, the, Visionary and and leadership and and uh, all kind of terms are thrown around quite some time, but fewer, much fewer, actually do it, and it's in the results, it's in the impact, as you've clearly established with your track record just thus far, and and it sounds like you're 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 uh, writing some new chapters to be released right around the corner. So before we talk supply chain, I can't wait to supply chain nerd out with Dr. Lisa here. So when you look back at 2021 and uh, the unique Uniquely challenging, uh, uniquely innovative, just a transformational year that it uh, it was. What's one Eureka moment that stands out?
1: I want to answer that. I want to go back. Something you said just really sparked an idea uh, that I wanted to share with you. When you were talking about, you know, starting the visionary leadership, and it's clearly that you are. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Really, there's things that you cannot do. You know, when something either taps into your heart or inspires you on a level, you may actually say, I'm not going to do it. The dolls, for example, I said three times I wasn't going to do it. (laughs) Right, right. And even, well, not so much recently now, things are much, much better. But in the early days, there were many, many nights that I went to bed saying, I'm done. I've given it all. I put all my money into it. I put all my expertise, Mm -hmm. my time. I'm done. It's not working. But then it doesn't let you go. It's like the vision holds on to you. So even when you're trying to shake it off, like I'm done with this. (laughs) It won't let you go, so you wake up the next morning and you're like, okay, I'm gonna give it one more day. <laughs> and that day lasts until, you know, the next 10 years. Uh, so I did want to say that. um
0: yeah, and point great, great point.
1: And then in terms of what did I see or what am I seeing from the pandemic in 2021? I think one of the things that strikes me is the great resignation. And we probably heard of that where so many people after coming out of the pandemic are having or making life-changing decisions if they weren't happy in their position previously they're resigning and so many of us did that that they're having a term called the great resignation sure i think that is what hit me but in a different way because i'm so passionate and so in love with what i do that i know that my life is on the right path but it's so wonderful to see other people saying what I'm doing now—that's not the right path. I need to—I need to do something different. And I admire that, and I think it's going to ultimately reap huge benefits for society as a whole.
0: I completely agree with you, and and even though it's throwing industry for a loop, yes, uh, they didn't see it coming. Uh, still, for all those individuals that have—and uh, I'm generalizing, of course—but you know, you and I both have probably sat down with folks that have made these decisions and are, are part of the movement. And they sit down and really look at their life and look at what makes them happy and look what they're they're tired of putting up with, and they they establish new priorities. And in so many cases, as we've seen, it doesn't mean that it's that traditional whatever job they've been working. And industry will, you know, it will evolve, and it will, you know, uh, as just like it has with work from home. You know, imagine Dr. Lisa, we had one panel, and, and, and this is good as we kind of break into supply chain. We had a panel of supply chain leaders. Uh, I don't know, it's been a year or so ago now, and we got to a point in this conversation, and it was a, it was a it was from a variety of sectors. And this one executive from a big hardware company uh mentioned this small little thing that they were that their management team it was being requested by their employees from the management team pre-pandemic, it was something related to. Uh, approving expenses and just making their life employees life a little bit easier to get reimbursed for things. And they refuse to do it for, as she said, some kind of nonsensical reason. And then they get into the pandemic where folks are working from home and those kind of things they had, you know, you can't submit hard copy receipts because you know what, not not offices. So it's something they did instantly. And she said to the rest of the panel or to, to our audience, what the heck were we thinking? You know, meaning why do we make such a big deal? you know, pre-pandemic, I mean, we just got to find a way to serve our employees and, and just like we serve our, you know, our customers. And it was it was such a great moment in, in some of our conversations we've had, but let's let's move that into, as we talk supply chain with with an incredible uh, industry thought leader, such as Dr. Lisa here, when you survey what's going on, whether it's the great resignation you just touched on, whether it's, um, you know, the e- EX employee experience I just touched on, Digital transformation, so many things. It's such a fascinating time to be in industry, as you know. What's a couple of things that are really, when you look at and survey the global supply chain ecosystem that really are are front and center for you?
1: Well, I do think that what we just talked about, the great resignation is really having a a huge impact because we're not able to find people... Well, I think eventually everyone find the right seat right on the bus. Right. Right, So we're all moving around now. saying, I don't want to do this. (laughs) I want to do something else. But ultimately, we'll have the right people in the right seats. And that's going to be fantastic for the industry. But right now it is. It's a shakeup. And additionally, you know, finding the right raw materials that you need. I mean, we we have this issue. We're creating, as I said earlier, some electronic toys and they require chips the same chips that you need in your automobile. And guess what? There's a shortage of chips, (laughs) which means it's a shortage in our ability to manufacture the quantities that we need. So I think we're going to continue to see those shortages. We're going to see shortages in in people, shortages in raw materials. I think we're going to continue to see uh, empty shelves and we're going to continue to see uh, product delays. But I do think all of that is going to gradually work itself out in the next Probably two years. I think it's going to be a little longer than what we may want. Uh, some industries may be faster than others, and some may be slower. I think in the beverage industry, for example, it could be as late as 2025 or 2026 before we start seeing our shelves fully stocked with our favorite sodas.
0: Yeah. So beyond levels of inventory uh, and some things that companies are doing there, what else sticks out to you about this, this uh, fascinating time uh, in Sapache?
1: I think it's a great opportunity for innovation and creativity from anything to technology and communications. My dissertation is actually on electronic data interchange or EDI, another old acronym. So that was technology was the, you know, the greatest back in the day, but I think there's going to be more opportunities for improvement in technology and creativity. We're going to have to do business very differently uh, because of the pandemic, you know, talking about the toy industry, our biggest event of the year, which is the toy fair in New York was literally just canceled last night because of the pandemic. So things that we are planning, you know, the pandemic is like, no, 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 no. Not quite yet. So where how we work is going to continue to evolve because people are going to be coming back into their offices. I think it's going to make more opportunity for entrepreneurial spirit even in within the corporate environment because we're going to have to come up with something that's new and innovative. And so that's where that entrepreneurial spirit comes in. But basically, it's going to be all based upon human creativity and innovation. Because this pandemic is here to stay for a while, but so is our demand for our customers or the demand that our consumers and customers have. How do we solve that with these new challenges? Talk about sensitivity analysis from college. That's what we're facing now. And I think the innovation, number one, creativity and technology and better ways of communicating. Because the earlier you have information, the better decisions you can make.
0: Absolutely. I I love that. And I love also how you, you touch on it's powered by humanity. It's powered by humans, right? Global Absolutely. supply chains, despite all the, the the digital transformation, all the great technology, and everything we have at our fingertips these days, still it's powered by the folks that make these decisions. You're referencing, and uh, we got to find a way of getting more information, right information at the right time, so we can make smarter and quick decisions uh, nice. to react more faster and faster, and to uh, not just react, but to get out ahead, right? Predict and all the different types of uh, predictive analytics that um, that leaders are embracing these days. It's really fascinating.
1: And it's really great, Scott. What you just said is amazing because it talks about the evolution and the strength of our industry. I mean, we did we moved from to just in time from holding inventory for everything because it was more efficient. It saved money and it saved costs. Right. Well, now the just in time with the pandemic is causing us headaches because we don't have all the materials that we need to make final products. So what's going to happen? We, the humans, the innovation is going to come up with a different way, perhaps as a hybrid, but some way of making sure we have the product we need that's not clogging up our warehouses so that we can actually deliver to our customers.
0: That's right. That's right. Um, all right. So we're going to have to. Um we saw a snippet or two of a master class by Dr. Lisa in supply chain. we have to have you back. So we had the full, full class. So many, so many, so many things that folks can learn, I think from your journey through all of its various chapters. And that's where I want to go with this next, one of our final questions here. You know, we get asked quite a bit. I bet you get asked quite a bit from uh, folks that are you know getting through high school and getting through college and the earliest parts of their, um, their careers. And they want to know how can they break into supply chain and, and then. You know, move up the up the chain of command into C suites like uh, like you, Doctor Lisa. If you had a room full of young young folks that uh, and had their captive attention, one of those rare things, it's like it's like a, a lottery ticket, right? What would be some advice you would offer that room full of young folks?
1: Oh, wow, that's a great question, Scott. Number one, do indeed get the information or the education you need, and and that can be g- gathered from a wide variety of ways. You know, it can be just pure experience. It can be going to a great university like Penn State or Ohio State that I did, but get the experience and get the knowledge. And then what I found for me that <laughs> that's so important is self appreciation and self um, believing in yourself. When I When I transitioned from being a professor to being a doll entrepreneur, One of the first things that I realized is that I didn't have the self-confidence because I didn't know anything. I'm looking at the big companies. You know, I'm working with Walmarts of the world. I'm looking at my competitors, all these major companies. And I'm like, what the heck are you doing in this big (laughs) river on a little bitty boat? (laughs) You're, You're out of your league, young lady. But I just kept believing. And again, that why, that little girl, that's my why. So I kept swimming in very deep waters. That's what I would say you're gonna feel or they're probably gonna feel that they're overwhelmed, they're undereducated and they don't have what they need to succeed. All that's false. What they have is a newness, a unique perspective. And as long as they keep that drive, that fire in their belly, that fire in their heart, that will keep them moving day to day, they will end in the the, the C-suites, no doubt about it. Because we are looking for that talent. We're looking for that innovation. But we have to believe in ourselves. Usually we take ourselves out of the game because we say, I don't have enough. I don't know enough. I don't know who I need to know. Walmart supplier of the year, would I go back to that? I would have never envisioned that. There are major, major toy companies that have and have not received supplier of the year, but I didn't take myself out of the game. Mm. So always stay in the game. Always believe in yourself and keep moving. Keep moving. Don't stop.
0: I love that. Two final thoughts before we make sure folks know how to connect with uh, Dr. Lisa Williams, CEO of World of EPI. Would you, what would your advice be? You know, as, as you mentioned on the, on the first half of the interview, you were at the height of your academic career. Life was good. All right. And then you had that Saturday uh, moment that clearly impacted the rest of your your career and your life and your your calling. Would you advise folks, you know, to find, they got to find their purpose too. Uh, you know, I think before you find your purpose and and you know i'm I am very thankful that I have found mine in life it, It's just maybe the human nature that you check in and check out you know you just you do the work you're getting paid for whatever it is and and you pays the bills and and you know you're kind of going through life and you may not have just stumbled on your purpose yet and sometimes finding that purpose means stepping out of your comfort zone and and, and finding new experiences. But speak to that for a second because clearly from that one Saturday. It had such a big impact. How would you talk about finding your purpose with folks?
1: That's a, that's a great question too, Scott. And you're right. We are so incredibly blessed and fortunate to know what our purpose is, because some people don't. But your purpose may change a little bit, or or may take a different um, perspective. So my purpose was always to be an educator. I wanted to educate. Like I said, even my stuffed animals. <laughs> With my Christmas chalkboard, (laughs) (laughs) I was educating them. And then I started educating humans (laughs) in school. And so when I was doing that, I was loving it. That was my purpose. Education, empowering students, adults, PhD students, executives, that I was all in for that. But then life took me in a different direction, which I didn't plan. And now it's all about little girls and boys on the plane with their dolls on the floor. And I'm all in for that. So my purpose has morphed. So that guess what I'd say is follow the purpose you have at the time. Because it may take you in a different direction. It kind of, you even think about your life too, Scott. You know what you love doing right now, today, and this is your passion. Well, right. if you go back, probably five, maybe ten years, there was something else that you really liked to do. Right. It, it just morphed, and then ten years from now, you, you're going to be, Your vision is going to expand. Your passion <laughs> is going to expand, and so it's kind of a moving target. But it's a love. It's a loving embrace journey, and you'll have the whole journey of self discovery as you're doing it.
0: Love that. And that leads me, that's a great segue to my final question for you, is part of your story here today was finding those partners that are willing to embrace your passion, embrace your vision. And whether that was the first supplier in China that finally gave in or whether that was Walmart that that saw it. And presented a great partnership that seemingly it seemed like y'all the relationship y'all had was really deep, so that really fostered the type of communication you had, whether it's about the vision or about the, the 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 line or whatever it was. Finding and embracing the right partner seems to be a really important part of your journey. Would you agree?
1: I totally would agree with that. And I just say, you're right that Walmart and I have had a long uh, journey together, but it has been one of vulnerability on my part. If you have time, I'll tell you this really short little story and you'll see what I mean. So the very, very first order that Walmart uh, ordered from me, I told my factory that I've been over back and forth to China several times. i have given them exactly what I needed them to do. I talked about the design of the doll, skin tone, blending, hair texture, everything. This doll was going to be perfect because she's my first one. The buyer calls me fast forward several months or weeks. The buyer calls me and says, Dr. Lisa, I said, yes. And it was like mm, maybe three weeks or so before Christmas. I could tell the way that he said, hello, Dr. Lisa, that there was a problem. <laughs> you can just tell, I felt the energy. And true enough, he said the dolls arrived bald. Bald. They took the hair, they put it in a, in a, in a rubber band, but they left it they only put hair around the circumference or the perimeter of it. So in the inside, when the hair shook coming over from, from Asia, the rubber bands, in some cases, the ribbons fell down. And what you saw was revealed was a bald doll. Wow. Not good. So uh, when they called me to tell me this, it was my first time hearing it. I immediately said, well, they said we could discount the dolls and still sell them. I said, no, we cannot do that. We have to destroy them all because this is my first time out. I did not want little girls to believe that this was a doll that was worthy of them. Once again, now I'm lowering their expectations of what they deserve. And secondly, and I didn't realize I was really doing this, but I endeared myself on some level to Walmart because they said she's honest, she's forthright, and she's going to fix it. I wasn't trying to cover it up. I wasn't trying to say, hey, well, you know, instead of, you know, getting your margin, take a slightly shorter, less margin. No, I I stood up, I took responsibility for it. I corrected it. It cost me a mint and almost put me out of business, total transparency. But it showed Walmart a little bit who my leadership style was. So that vulnerability and authenticity has helped to endure the relationship. And I say that because sometimes people who are starting in business, they look at these huge suppliers like your Walmarts, your Targets, whomever, and they say, oh, they got more money. They can afford this loss or that loss, or I can overcharge it. Yeah, you can. You can. That's certainly an option. But if you're really trying to develop a relationship more than purely based on transaction, if you really want a partnership, then you have to be a partner. And that requires being honest. And also, in some cases, vulnerable and always looking for the best thing for your partner. Also, not just the best thing for you.
0: Very well said. I I really appreciate it. I'm glad glad we asked just a couple additional questions before we connect you with our listeners. Very valuable lessons learned. And one of the the things I heard there is, you know, sometimes as a leader, you got to call time out and you got to make that really tough and costly decision. But it's still the right one and it'll pay off in the long run. Yes. Uh, so thank you so much for sharing and being, uh, transparent throughout all the journeys. Uh, there's so much that you're teaching folks, uh, both from your academic time, from your entrepreneurial time. And you know what? There's more <laughs> wait, folks. There's a lot more. So we'll have to have Dr. Lisa Williams back with us here. Let's make sure folks kind to connect with you. And I know, I know your, your research is everywhere. Your interviews are everywhere. Your, um, your products are everywhere, but how can folks connect with you and learn more about the world of EPI?
1: Ah, thank you for that. Well, Instagram, we're really, we're on Instagram. So for Instagram, it's the Fresh Dolls or at thefreshdolls. And then to reach me directly, it's at the Dr. Lisa. So at the Dr. Lisa.
0: Wonderful. It's just that easy. Well, uh, Dr. Lisa, really admire all that you've done. And I think as busy as you are to take the last hour or so and spend some time with us and and share your journey and your learnings your accomplishments and and a lot more with our global audience uh, we're very grateful for that so big thanks to Dr. Lisa Williams CEO of world of epi
1: Scott it's been a pleasure an absolute joy thank you for having me
0: you bet we'll have to have you back again really soon
1: I'd listeners. Love it.
0: Hopefully you've enjoyed this. I, I told y'all this this hour is going to be inspirational and intriguing. And uh, that just scratches the surface of just an hour with Dr. Lisa. If you'd like conversations like this, be sure to find us at supplychainal.com. Find us wherever you get your podcast from. Click to subscribe so you don't miss conversations just like this one. But hey, if you hear anything here today, beyond, I don't know, I'm not, not sure about you. I've got about 17 pages of notes from Dr. Lisa's journey. But hey, Scott Luton signing off for our team here, challenging you to do good. Give forward, be the change, be just like Dr. Lisa and the world be a better place. And we'll see you next time right back here on Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now.